Greetings, and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire Podcast. My guest on this episode is Steve Weisfeld, one of the top judges in the sport and a guest I've uh, wanted to have on here for a while. Um, we discussed his history of judging top fights, which he's judged many, uh, his criteria for scoring fights, which I think you'll find really interesting, and uh, some tips for the fans at home on how to best score a fight and, and watch a fight uh, with the sound off, as he says. Um, we also got, the alle- uh, got into the allegations of uh, corruption and incompetence of judges. Um, especially uh, judging in the big fights and uh, some possible reforms to make judging more transparent. Uh, It was a really interesting conversation, and I I really hope you enjoy it. Okay, so I want to welcome who I consider to be, without question, one of the best judges in the sport of boxing, Um, the 2009 New Jersey Boxing Hall of Fame inductee, Mr. Steve Weisfeld. Uh, Welcome to the Boxing Esquire podcast. Kurt, thank you so much. It's an honor to be on your show. It's great to have you. Great to have you. Um, just, uh, you know, when I was thinking of judges and, you know, there's there's a lot of talking about judging and so on in the last year, I'm like, you know, the, the you, without question, you you were the one guy I, I wanted to get to, to come onto the podcast. So I really appreciate you coming on. Um, so thank let's, you. let's get your, let's get your background. Where, where are you from and, and how did you get your start in boxing? Well, I was uh, born in Patterson, New Jersey. I grew up in uh, Fairlawn, and I grew up basically as a sports fan in the 1970s, and I would watch a lot of the mainstream sports like baseball and basketball and football and some sports not so uh, much in the mainstream like uh Demolition Derby, and I remember Evil Knievel and Billie Jean <laughs> King versus Bobby Riggs and, and the occasional boxing match. And, and I remember it was uh, July, actually January 24th, 1976. Um, George Foreman was fighting Ron Lyle, and I was just glued to the television set. And I think that's the one fight that really got me hooked. And after that fight, I would just be watching the fights and I would have my little index card with me and I would s- score the fights and I guess I was practicing being a judge without even knowing it. So that's that's really how I got uh, involved in the sport. Wow, that's great. I mean, you know, Foreman Lyle, yeah, I, I remember watching that one myself. That was absolutely glued to the TV and I, can, I could still, you know... Here, uh, Cosell, you screaming, you know that that this wasn't a boxing match. This was something else. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was an amazing fight. What that would definitely get you hooked on the sport. Um, so, at yeah, I, point- think he, I think he used. No, you're right. You're right. I think he used the term uh, in that match, um, which is very disparaging. But he said utterly without boxing skill. So <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> That's right, which, you know, it was a slugfest, but it was definitely not without skill. But uh, so what, at, what po- at, what point, at what point did you decide uh, to, to become a judge? Well, there were some uh, 
decisions that I didn't think were fair, you know, through the eyes of a kid. Um, and, you know, I, I wanted to, uh, um, you know, try to add to the justice of the sport. And I think I was about 21 when I took the test to become an amateur boxing judge. And I remember uh, studying the old uh, USA boxing handbook and, and I passed that test and, that, and then I became an amateur apprentice. And I went to a lot of the amateur bouts in New Jersey all over um, Patterson, Trenton, Jersey City, Elizabeth, Newark, et cetera. And I did that for about uh, five years when Commissioner Larry Hazard asked me if I wanted to join his apprenticeship program, which meant that I would have to go to the fights for one year, unofficially score them. And after that one year period, he would decide whether or not I had what it takes to become a professional boxing judge. So I did that for about nine months. And I remember like it was yesterday, one of the judges got stuck in traffic going down to Atlantic city. So that was my uh, first pro show in New Jersey. And I took a similar route in, uh, in getting in uh, New York under the auspices of uh, commissioner, Randy Gordon. And, you know, I have to thank both of them for giving me my, uh, my start. So that was about uh, 1991, 1992. Okay. Okay. Wow. So that, that, that's great. So um, you've been judging fights. Wow. So that's, uh, geez, 27. That makes me very, very old. Yeah. <laughs> Almost 30 years, Steve. It doesn't seem possible, man. Wow. You know, it's a long time. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, can you even estimate how many uh, pro fights you've, you've done at this point? Well, I would say probably around maybe a little short of 2,000 pro fights Whew. and probably 500 amateur bouts from 86 to 91. Wow. 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 It's a lot of fights, man. That is a lot of fights. So, I mean, I, I know you've definitely done, I mean, I was, I was looking over your box record. I know you've done like a ton of big fights. I mean, just in 2018, you did uh, Lomachenko Pedraza, Jacobs Derevianchenko, Triple G Canelo 2, Mikey Garcia, Robert Easter, you know, Loma and Linares, Jacob Selesky, Anthony Joshua, Joseph Parker, Errol Spence, Lamar Peterson. I mean, you, at this point in time, you're, you're pretty much at the highest level of judging. You're doing like all of the big fights. Um, can you just tell some folks uh, some of the other uh, significant fights that, that, that you've judged? Well, I mean, it's an honor actually to judge any fight. Um, so I, I, you know, whether it's a four rounder or 12 rounder, you have to give every fighter 100% concentration but uh, yeah but thank you yeah it, it was an honor to judge those fights too um what were some of the other big fights that i judged you asked uh yes um i think the fight that people talk about more than any other fight was the first fight between riddick bow and andrew galata um <laughs> i also did the rematch and both fights were very similar um, Galata was ahead on the scorecards on all six scorecards. Wow. Um, and then he got disqualified in, in both fights later on. But I guess the major difference was they had, uh, no riot in, uh, New Jersey. They had that, um, 
uh, mini riot at Madison Square Garden uh, for the first fight. So that was a major difference. What happened? I got more slots of that. What, what, what did you yeah, do when all that was going on? Where did you go <laughs> when, 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 when stuff started going down at the Garden? Well, the first, I, I mean, I, I just, uh, I was waiting for them to announce the decision. I was just sitting in my judge's chair and somebody didn't seem to be um, older than a kid. He's running past me um, into the ring. And I said, that's strange. Where's the security? Mm. And and then uh, things started to go crazy with um the uh i think the bow people beating up the galata people and vice versa and i just said to myself well you know the to some extent um you know the the bow fans should have been happy with the outcome because that was uh i think at that point the only way that bow was going to win on the scorecards right. by uh disqualification but you got to give um, Bo a tremendous amount of credit because he really made um, in my mind he made Galata um, do what he did and he showed incredible fortitude he took big shots in, in both fights but to answer your question where did I go I just I, I just went in the back um, t- to the uh, officials room and I just waited for things to, to die down unfortunately I had to wait for um, probably about 10 minutes or so, but eventually, as you know, they did die down and, and, and that's where I went after I was at ringside. Were you there for that fight? You know what? I, I had, I, I was supposed to go with a friend, but I don't know. I, I forget something came up and I wasn't able to go and I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't go. <laughs> Cause that, 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 that was, that was an absolutely insane atmosphere. I mean, um, the only other atmosphere I could think of, I mean, and it wasn't even close to that, but I, I don't know if you, you you were probably a judge the night um um I think it was two thousand three when Corey Spinks beat Mayorga and Don King had that huge um card in Atlantic City. I think Hopkins Joppy was on it, uh Rockman Ruiz. I judged yeah, I judged that fight. Right, I judged that fight. Hopkins versus Joppy. Hopkins Joppy. There were about like seven or eight I mean, I, I wasn't married at the time, but my my future wife was there with me and there were about seven or eight fights in the crowd. And, you know, by the time uh, Hopkins Joppy came on, she's just like, could you just get me out of here? <laughs> it was it was a really rough night. But even that didn't compare to, to Bogolata. That was just insane. That was insane. At least that didn't discourage your long-term relationship. With <laughs> That's her, right. That was, if that didn't scare off, I don't know what would, Steve, right? <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, I remember that was a long night. And I remember that that fight... Um, Hopkins was incredibly impressive. He was one of the few fighters that I've seen. Um, it, it just seemed like he could do whatever he wanted to that night. Um, so that, that was, uh, you asked me about big fights before. I thought that was, that was a big fight. Hopkins, Hopkins and Joppy. Um, uh, also, let's see, the first fight between uh, Gotti and Ward. Um, that was a fight of the year. It was a very exciting fight. Yeah. yeah that, that was an exciting fight. G- Gotti versus Robinson. I think that was another fight of the year. Um, Gaddy uh, Ward. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. The first one. That was in Atlantic. Was that Atlantic City or was that in Connecticut? No, that was that was at Mohegan Sun. Mohegan Sun. Um, right. 
you know, it turned out to be one-sided, but there was tremendous hoopla for um, Lennox Lewis and Michael Grant. Um, but yes. but probably, if I had picked probably the, the biggest fight that I did I, in terms of... Um, in terms of the quality of the fighters, in terms of the excitement of the fight, and in terms of uh, a shock outcome, I would say it was probably Marquez versus Pacquiao four. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, that was definitely a shocker. After all the rounds they fought, you know, no one really expected a, a one-punch knockout. <laughs> Um, yeah, wow. So you, wow, well, you judged that one. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, going through the list. Yeah. You've, you, you've done so many great fights, um, including, uh, Ward Kovalev too, and Joshua Klitschko. I mean, it, it's, you know, we'd be here all day if I, if I listed them all, but, uh, obviously you've had a really distinguished career. Um, now you, now obviously judging's taking you around the world as well. How many, uh, how many countries have you judged fights in? Uh, I'm not really sure. I would guess maybe um, 15 or so, something wow. like that. Wow. Perhaps 20, uh, somewhere between 15 and 20. Wow. Um, and it's, um, yeah, I've judged in, in places like uh, South Africa and the United Arab Emirates, um, different places in, in Europe, Russia, Ukraine. But, um you know, the funny thing is, you know, at the end of the day, when you're judging, um, you still have the ring in front of you. And whether it's uh, in a foreign country or the garden or a small show, your focus still has to be, obviously, the, the two boxers and, and everything else is uh, secondary. Right. Absolutely. Well, let's yeah. Let's get to uh, how you actually score the fights. Um, just so folks at home know from from one of the best. Um, you know, generally the. I mean, it seems like. I mean, I'm sure the rules and regs differ a little bit from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. But um, you know, it seems like there's four generally accepted criteria. You know, clean punching or clean hitting, um, defense, effective aggressiveness, and ring generalship could could you just kind of go through each criteria and, and how much weight you give them in uh, in scoring around well i mean you're right Kurt, that those are generally the four accepted criteria the four criteria that um fans and judges hear about all the time but i would say that the focus really is on clean punches um i asked a judge whom uh, whom I greatly admire, I said, how many times do you have in your um, illustrious career, how many times have you actually had a boxer ahead based upon clean punches and yet gave the round to the other boxer because of defense, aggressiveness, or ring generalship? And his answer was none. <laughs> so the focus really, the focus really is on uh, clean punches, because if you think about it, the other factors are really subsets or secondary factors to clean punches. Because if you're, Kurt, the effective aggressor, what does that mean? How are you effective? You're effective by landing clean punches. If you have a good defense, what does it mean? It means your opponent is not landing clean punches. And if you have good ring generalship, what does that generally mean? It generally means that you put yourself in a position 
to land punches. So th- those are those factors um, are secondary. And I, I think the term um, that is used a lot is the word control. Uh, I think that's more easily to gr- easy to grasp than factors like ring generalship. You've seen a, I don't know if you're a baseball fan, but um, you've seen a, a baseball pitcher in control of his pitches. And, and, and you could tell what that means, or a football quarterback, he's in control of the game. So it's, it's sort of, um, it's somewhat subjective, but, um, you know, you're getting the other boxer to do what you want. Um, so, but, but again, that's really secondary. The, the main factor is clean punches. And believe me, there's enough to go on if you just talk about clean punches. Because, Kurt, let's say that you and I are fighting, and I land one hard punch on you, and you land two um, punches on me that are each not as hard. So you take that simple example, who would you say is winning? Well, you know, I, I would go with the guy who's doing the most damage with the punches, right? Right. So damage, you, you, that's a good point. So it's not necessarily what punch is hard. It's what punch causes the damage or to, to use another word, what punch is more effective. So if I knock you down with my punch or um, you knock me down with one of your two punches, then clearly um, the one of us who scored the knockdown is winning because certainly that punch had an effect. It did that it caused the knockdown. Um, was a boxer hurt by the punch? So the key word really is effect. And that's why you have uh, subjectivity in scoring because, and I think I said this when I was with uh, HBO on the air once, there's no mathematical formula that says that um, two jabs equals one effective shot or three jabs equals one effective shot. But somehow, as a judge, you have to do what you think is fair based on your experience, and you have to equate the two because certainly the boxer who is more heavy handed, he's not, he shouldn't win automatically every round. And also you shouldn't make it impossible for the boxer who um, is short in the power department to win either. So you have to do what you think is fair and you have to be able to equate effective shots, hard shots, and the number of shots. Right. And, and the effect of the shots, right, too. Like like you said, I mean, if, if one guy is, is, you know, muscle bound and, you know, landing shots, you can hear in the back row, but it's not doing anything. And the other guy is not considered a puncher, but he, you know, lands what looks like a soft right hand and the muscle bound guy falls down. Then you've you've basically got a 10, eight round for the, the guy who's supposed to be the soft puncher. <laughs> yeah, and, right, and the effect is uh, is most important. A lot of rounds there might not be any shots that have a clear effect. Right. So then you go with the hardness of the punch and the number of punches, but some rounds there are, uh, to to use your example, if there's a knockdown, generally, not all the time, but generally that's a 10, eight round. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, you know, there are definitely, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's like a mix of things, right? It's, 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 there's no hard and fast rules, but you know, you're you're looking at number of punches. You know, the impact of the punches and the effect of the punches um, on on uh, between the between the fighters. Um, 
Now, do you do you give any credence to punches landed in the clinch, or does that just kind of go into the mix as well? Because uh, I've, I've you know just seen a, a couple of recent fights where you know there was argument. Well, you know, all this guy did was like hold and you know punch in the clinch. Those weren't clean punches. Do you count those as clean punches or? Well, here, here's the question, Kurt. Is the boxer holding and hitting, or is he being held and hitting? Right. If he's holding and hitting, that's a foul. So I don't count those punches. Gotcha. If he's being held and hitting, he's not committing a foul because he still has one free hand. Right. So those punches do count. So you have to watch extremely carefully as to who's holding and who's being held. And it's not simply up to the referee. The judge can't say, well, the referee didn't say anything. So anything goes, and obviously the judge has to listen to the referee. If the referee calls it a low blow or says it's a knockdown or says it's not a knockdown, the judge has to listen to the referee. But most of the time, the referee isn't going to tell us what punches are scoring punches. That's not the referee's job. So we have to decide ourselves, and we have to look carefully in the clinch as to who's doing the holding and who's being held. And admittedly, that's not the, uh, the easiest thing to do. Right, right, right. And I guess a point about the rules and regs too. It doesn't specify, you know, of those five of those four criteria which should be weighted more, and it doesn't specify that they should be given equal weight either. So it's, you know, and it seems to be the consensus through judges throughout the history of boxing that it is about, you know, you know the the, the clean punching is is far outweighs the 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 other uh, criteria that you know may be somewhat antiquated at this point, but. Um, that's true. And, and you, you do hear the four criteria a lot, but a lot of states don't really have those four criteria in their rule books. Some do, but some don't. And also those four criteria, they're not part of the, the unified rules of boxing. The unified rules of boxing actually have very little to say about uh, judging. It says there's a 10-point must system. There are three judges. What happens if there's an accidental foul? When do you go to the scorecards? stuff like that, but it doesn't get into the detail about how do you score an individual round. That's not what the unified rules of boxing are about. So that's why it's left up to uh, the states and to uh, seminars as well. Right. So what about even rounds? Do you score even rounds or, or do you discourage yourself from, from scoring even rounds? Does it depend on the jurisdiction whether you score even rounds? How do, how do you treat the very, very close rounds? Well, I think the last even round I had might have been in the uh, the Gotti Robinson fight that I mentioned before. So it was a it was a while ago. I generally try not to have even rounds. That's not to say that there isn't any such thing as an even round, but I think um, you know judges should not use even rounds um, uh, when the round is very close. We have enough going on in the three minutes to make a decision. I mean, we have, as I said before, the effectiveness of the punch, the hardness of the punch, number of the punches, and then we have the secondary factors, who's in control. There should be enough there not to have a 10-10 round. Now, I'm not going to say, well, there's no such thing as an even round. You could have... um, you know, as I said before, um, you could score a partial round uh, if there's an accidental foul or even, in some cases, an intentional foul and, it, uh, and the fight goes on to a later round. But you could score a partial round 
And if that round lasts only 10 seconds with no punches being thrown, I'm going to have that 10 uh, 10. Right, right. Or you could, you could theoretically have a round where one boxer scores the knockdown and the other boxer wins the round by overwhelming dominance. That's extremely rare, but that could be a case for a 10 10 round as well. Um, I, I think um, one of the fallacies in boxing is that uh, a knockdown round is automatically a 10 8 round. It's not. I mean, most rounds where there's a knockdown. Are ten eight rounds, but but certainly not not all of them. Hmm. Have you? I mean, have you? you know, just off the top of your head, can can you think of like? Uh, have you scored a lot of rounds ten nine where there's a knockdown, or is it just a very rare occasion where you see a fighter so dominant in a round that a knockdown um, doesn't make it ten eight? I would say probably ninety or ninety five percent, probably closer to 95% of rounds where there's a knockdown, um, where there's one knockdown or scored 10, eight. Um, you're asking, have I seen, have I scored any myself? I'm sure I have. I just can't recall any off the top of my head though. Right. Right. So I guess to, to, um, I guess for the folks scoring at home, what, what are some like pro tips you would give them for kind of, more accurately scoring a fight and, and scoring it closer to what the professional judges are, are, are seeing and looking for? Well, the number one uh, tip, Kurt, is you have to judge based on a continuum. In other words, 100% concentration, turn the sound off, don't, uh, don't do anything else but judge, and know who's winning and by how much at every second of the round. Um, and, and I also emphasize by how much. So a boxer can be winning um, close. He or she could be winning moderate, decisive. And you, you have to know, too, when decisive becomes overwhelming dominance without a knockdown. Because overwhelming dominance without a knockdown, that's 10-8. And you have to know how much because the other boxer could be coming back. So you judge based on a continuum. Boxers up, then the other boxer comes back, etc. So you just keep going back and forth throughout the round. So when the bell rings, you should know who's winning and by how much, and the score should be instantaneous. So I would say that's the main thing: 100% concentration um, and just just going with the flow. Um, you know, you can't worry about the fact that it's a close round. Um, you know, generally you do have some feeling out rounds and maybe one fighter will come on at, at the end, but if he or she doesn't, that's fine. You just judge what you see. So I would say that's, that's the number one uh, factor. Um, number one tip, just a hundred percent concentration. Um, and then I would also um, say it's important to speak with others about how to score better. Um, I think no matter what you do in life, you're not going to get better unless you put a lot of time into it. And if you speak with others about how to improve. So I think that's important. Um, and I think, I mean, the average fan should know generally the 10 point must system, uh, the scoring zone, um, and stuff like that. 
Oh, that's great. Those are those are great tips. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's that's it's really important to uh, to uh, I love that where you're you're tracking you know the entire round and 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 it's like a race. You know, you're seeing you like who's ahead, who's ahead. Is someone you know someone's winning the round? Okay, okay, this guy's closer now. Oh, you know that was a big punch. All right, this guy might have pulled ahead. You know, it, it it does take a lot of concentration. You know, you can't you can't uh, you know be be lax or or uh, or I guess the, the the hardest thing probably for fans is not to is to like put away their rooting interest while they're judging a fight, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you know there's there's kind of you know you're, you're you're it's hard not to watch one fighter as opposed to to watching both, you know, um, you really do have to have a lot of concentration. Um, yeah, that's right. I mean, and you have to concentrate right in the middle. Um, and obviously, you're right. You can't have any rooting interest. It doesn't matter. Um, where the boxers uh, from, or and, and this is another fallacy, Kurt, that you hear a lot. Um, doesn't matter who the champion is. Um, you hear people say a lot. Well, they really have to take uh, the title from the champion. And I don't know any judge who judges like that. Um, we all judge based on the fact that the champion takes off his belt or her belt. When I go into the ring and, and in the ring, there are no champions. I, I mean, I don't even pay attention when, um, yeah, as to what belt is on the line. It really doesn't matter to me. So I, I think that's also important to know. Uh, the two fighters are totally equal. Right, right. Everything's up for grabs once the bell rings. There's, there's no... Uh... There's no uh, priority or preference given to uh, to anyone who's who's got the title. Well, speaking of uh, you know, ever ever since you know the the sport began and, and referees or judges uh, decided the winner of the fight, you know, there's always controversial decisions. Um, you know, there's been controversial controversial or, or somewhat you know or outright poor judging. You know, it's been part of the sport for since the since the dawn of time, and and I'm sure I'm sure you've heard people like. Teddy Atlas or or even Max Kellerman say that poor judging is the result of either incompetence or corruption. There's you know there's this, the sense that the A side or the promoter's favorite fighter is is always going to get the the benefit of the doubt in a close fight. And uh, you know I, I know it's a it's a tough question to answer, but why do you think there are often these like confounding kind of one sided cards in in what appear to be uh, close major fights? Boy, that's a good, you, you raise a few issues there. Um, but, uh, I'll do the last one. I'll, I'll take the last part first. You, you sometimes have a card, let's say 98, 92, or even a hundred to, to 90. And you say, well, Weisfeld, what was he watching? How could it be eight to two or 10 zero? That was a close fight, but our allegiance as judges is to the round. I don't give my opinion as to the fight as a whole. I don't say, well, this was generally a, that was a six, four fight. It was a close fight, you know, fighter, a one close. I can't do that. I have to turn in my scorecards one round at a time. So if fighter a wins each round by the smallest of margins, then fighter a is going to win the fight hundred to 90 and somebody just looking at the end result is going to think that it's a blowout, but it's not. Um, so that's why 
a wide card at the end is not indicative as to how close the fight is because we score one round at a time. On the other hand, uh, if you have a, a fight that is uh, 95-95, that generally is indicative of a close fight, but having a wide score is not indicative of a one-sided fight. Right. And, and by the way, you know, if we as judges start to think about, well, I gave round one to fighter A, I, uh, close, I gave one, round two to fighter A, close, I gave round three to fighter A close. Maybe I'll give round four to fighter B. That's just dishonest. We can't judge like that. We have to judge one round at a time. Whoever wins, wins. So to answer your question, I think that's exactly why, you know, the average fan might say, oh, that judge is is way off. But that judge is just doing an honest job by judging one round at a time. Right. And I guess, um, I mean, uh, you know, there's other factors as well, right? You you each have a, a different view of the ring. And, um, you know, there may be judges who have different philosophies too, right? I mean, some some may favor power punchers or some may, may favor body punching or, or some may favor, you know, volume of punches, right? I mean, it's, it's uh, there, you know, because it's, there's no hard and, you know, there's not like, real, real hard and fast rules to make it easier. It is, it is a judgment call, right? Well, yes, it is. It's a judgment call. You're right. And that's why in the examples I was giving before, there is subjectivity between the number of punches that land versus the effectiveness of the punch. And you're never going to have every single judge, even if every single judge is doing their 100% utmost, not every judge is going to line up exactly on, on, uh, equating them the same. So you might have judges that, um, maybe would favor the boxer more than another judge or the puncher more than another judge. Everybody's not going to be right on that line in the middle, uh, because there is, as we said, some subjectivity to it. And I think that's that's really um, one of the reasons why the sport is hard to judge. I mean, it's also hard to judge because it's um, – I mean, you have really two main goals in boxing, right? Take a sport like basketball. What's the goal in basketball, basically? To get the ball through the hoop, right? Right, right. Right. But in boxing, you have a goal – you know, you want to try to stop your opponent or you want to land more punches than your opponent. So you have that duality and and you're rewarding the boxer for both. You're rewarding the boxer for landing punches on one hand and you're rewarding the boxer for uh, hurting his opponent, having the more effective shots on the other hand. And that's why you have subjectivity because you're trying to relate the two and have a fair decision considering everything. Right. Well, I guess, you know, g getting back, I mean, I, there was kind of a lot to, to that. It was a very compound question, but I mean, there, the sense that the fans have that the A side or the promoters fighter is, is always going to get the benefit of the doubt in a close fight. First of all, that's not necessarily true, but what's, what's, what's your response to that? <clears throat> well, I mean, I think, you know, generally, um, 
the, the better fighter um, does better because he or she is the better fighter. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but that's, that's not really what you're asking. I mean, the way we judge, and I don't know any judge who judges it differently. Um, you know, every fighter has to get a fair shake and it, it doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't matter where the, the boxers from. I think, you know, if, if announcers think that the B side is winning a fight and the B side doesn't get the decision, then they go into this somewhat conspiratorial conspiratorial argument that well the, it's the powers that be that uh, that created the decision for the A side when actually you might have a number of people who thought the fighters on the A side win and if the fighter on the B side gets a decision well they don't discuss the conspiracy theory because in their mind I guess that's the way it's supposed to be so. I don't know. There's just a number of, uh, of, of crazy, um, crazy theories, but I always wanted to know who, who are these powers that be, um, <laughs> who influ- really, I mean, we just judge one round at a time. I heard somebody else say to me, well, you know, fighter a came back and he won rounds nine and 10 big. And that was indicative that he knew that he was behind from one to eight. I mean, so it's just hard to respond to things like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of galls me, too. I mean, having been on the, the management side for over 20 years, I mean, you know, going to, to Teddy's point about corruption, I mean, as far as I know, you know, there hasn't been any major pro fights that I could think of in the, the past 30, 40 years where there have been any proven evidence of actual corruption on the part of a judge. You know, there's lots of accusations, but none were, you know, I can recall any real evidence been uncovered. I mean, you've judged around all around the world for many years. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know. no, and I, I, I'll be honest. I don't know anybody who's known anybody. Right. No, no one's offered I mean, you any bribes every, every, or anything every, like that. I mean, it's crazy, right? No, I mean, every judge that I know, is hardworking and who only has one goal in mind, and that's to make sure that the right fighter wins. And the judges that I know uh, study fights. Um, you know, when they're not judging, they watch tapes. Um, they're watching the fights as they happen. Um, the only job that we have is to become better judges. Right, right, right. Um, and and reasonable people can differ watching the same fight as well. Um, you know. Well, one other thing which we didn't talk about either yet, I mean, you touched upon it, is, um, you know, when you're watching at home, um, I, I said the best way to judge um, is with the sound off. Right. But most people at home don't do that, right? I mean, when you're watching a fight, right. especially with friends, you're going to be influenced by the announcers. And it's very, very tough to, to speak and judge at the same time. I mean, you can, yeah. how can part of your brain be giving a hundred percent concentration on judging if you're also talking? I can't, I mean, it's, it's very, very difficult, if not impossible. So I, I remember I mentioned Randy Gordon before he did a study uh, among some college students where he deliberately slanted his calling of a four-round fight so that 
the loser of the fight, and actually the loser of every single round, in his slanted commentary, was winning. And they said 90% of the um, college students who listened to his commentary scored the round for the boxer who was actually losing based upon the commentary. So wow. there's something to be said, too, about the power of the media in creating controversies. Right. I, I'm not saying that, that I agree. N nobody can agree with every single decision out there. But, but certainly, just because a decision was controversial doesn't mean that it wasn't correct. Right, right. No, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, the, the commentator's job is to call the fight, but also to entertain. So, yeah, they, they're going to whip up, you know, controversy or, or, or what have you and, and, you know, make it as entertaining a, a broadcast as possible. Even the even the commentators with the most integrity I can think of do the, do that a little bit. You know, they're trying to sell the fight. So um, that's a really good point. That's interesting, that study uh, that Randy did. That's really, really interesting. Um, but just so just so people get a better understanding of, of how all this works, too. Can you go through um, how judges are generally selected for a given fight? Well, that's up to the uh, individual uh, commissions. Um, you know, but first of all, you're licensed by the commission, um, and having a license doesn't guarantee you any work whatsoever. Um, and then, I mean, it's totally in the discretion of the, uh, of the commission to, to assign you. Um, you know, I think it's, uh, a little bit different in some countries overseas, where, um, uh, or, or perhaps in some states where if it's a title fight, they're selected differently. But, um, you know, you get, uh, um, you know, so, so that, that's different if it's a title fight um, overseas. But generally, um, in the United States, I get the assignments from the commissions. I got you. And how, how you're notified by the commission? Um, like how, how far ahead of time do you know what, what fights you're working? I would say on the average about, mm, two or three weeks, two or three weeks. Okay. Um, so what, what happens the day of the fight? Like who do you report to and, you know, do you have any contact with the promoters? No, I mean, you you generally are told by the commissions what time to report, uh, which is probably, I would say, at least two hours before the bout starts. And you have your routine um, that day. I'm always a little bit on edge. I mean, I don't want to do anything out of the ordinary that day. I don't want to go to a new restaurant. I don't want to do something too far from, from home or from the venue. So you want to just get into your routine. You want to relax. Um, you don't want to be, you could have tremendous energy at three o'clock. Um, but are you going to have tremendous energy at maybe 11 o'clock when the fight is? So you have to plan your day accordingly. And I think that's very important. Uh, people make mistakes when they're tired. So you really have to rest up that day. And then you have to, you know, arrive a couple hours before the bout start and you, 
generally there's a commission room and you stay in the commission room and, and, um, uh, you know, fill out the names on the scorecards and, and whatnot. And the commissioner, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, speaks in, um, generalities about the fights and, uh, and that's about it. So no, there's no contact with the promoter. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and I guess for, for foreign fights, it's a little different, right? Like they fly you in and they, they put you up, uh, for a little while, but what's, what's the general protocol for like international fights? Well, I would say the general protocol is you arrive, maybe if you do a fight on Saturday, um, you want to get there at least a day or two before, because you certainly don't want to have jet lag and you don't want to be tired. That's the main thing. And, you know, if you're, if you're in a a foreign country and you want to do something new, um, try new food, don't do it on fight day. Um, (laughs) you know, just, you know, just, uh, rest on, on fight day and treat it, uh, as if as much as possible, as if you were home. In other words, just uh, go through your routine. If, if you jog a couple miles at home, maybe try to do that on uh, on fight day. So you have you have uh, more time, um, but you know, as I said before, at the end of the day, you still have the ring in front of you and the and the two fighters. So that's what you have to focus on. That's that. That's great. That's great. Um... Let me uh, let me just get into some, you know, because, uh, you know, these controversies come up, uh, you know, a couple times a year. There's been a lot of different suggestions of how to reform or, or improve judging. And I want to get your opinion on uh, the, the possible, you know, efficacy of some of these suggestions and whether they'd help. Um, I, I think you and I had spoken about this before. Um, consensus or majority scoring? I know that the... Uh, the National Association of Attorneys General had a task force in the late 90s and uh, in early 2000, they, they issued their recommendations. And one of them was to use what they deemed consensus scoring, where, you know, you, you basically if they're, you know, you, you throw out like, you know, if there's if there's a, a one of the judges judges around for one fighter, one judge judges for the other fighter, you throw those scores out and then you take like what the third judge has, which I would assume if, if he called it even, it's even. If they called it for one fighter or the other, you know, it goes to that fighter. Um, so, I mean, this was impl- were, this was implemented in New Jersey in, in 2000. Did, did you ever do any fights where there was consensus or majority scoring that you recall? Or I know they did this for at least a I couple believe of I months. Did, did you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, more than a couple months. Yeah, maybe it was for um, six or nine months, somewhere around there. Okay, okay. Yeah, I remember. I just remember that. that I, yeah, um, the the Vivian Harris, sorry, the, yeah, the Vivian Harris Ivan Robinson fight kind of put the kibosh on it because all three judges scored for Harris, but somehow, some way, using the consensus scoring, it ended up being a draw. <laughs> so Harris kind of got cheated out of a win. But, but I mean, in, you know, that might have been a very extraordinary circumstances. What what was your opinion of of consensus or majority scoring? Well, it had pluses and minuses. The, the I think the the main um, 
plus was that as we talked about before, we judge one round at a time, whoever wins wins. And the focus of the consensus scoring is okay. Who wins the round based on the consensus? And that round goes in the bank for that fighter. So yeah, and then every round is like that. So the focus is on the round, not the fight. But the negative, as you said, is that theoretically you could have a fight where all three um, judges have it for one fighter. And yet because of the consensus score, you could have the fight a draw. Or I think it's even possible that that fighter can lose. Right. So you, you sort of have um, a diffusion of responsibility. You have... Um, you know, to some extent, your overall score doesn't matter. <laughs> it just uh, because it's round by round. And and I don't know. I mean, judging a fight is a big responsibility. And, you know, it should remain a big responsibility because it's a very important job. And, you know, I mentioned the positive. So I guess the negative is, you know, by having the the focus on each round, the, the judge's um, individual overall score um, is totally irrelevant. And, you know, I'm not sure if the sport is at that point where that's what they decided. So. Right, right, right. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen that, that concept come back since the early 2000s. So I don't know if we'll see that one, but yeah. I, I've, I've seen some suggested recently, but what do you think of open scoring? The, the WBC's experimented with this, uh, where the, where the judges scores are announced to the crowd. And I guess they do it here in the States where the commissions allow it, like, you know, every four rounds. Um, do you think it puts undue pressure on the judges to score for the home fighter or does it, you know, or to bring their score more in line with other judges. I mean, you know, is that a bad thing? Um, what's, what's your opinion on open scoring? Well, it's not a good thing, <laughs> right? Because it's, um, it should be totally irrelevant, um, as to how the other judges have it. But if, uh, if you're scoring a fight curtain and you hear after four rounds that you have it, 40 to 36 for one fighter and the other two judges in the fight that you're scoring have it 40 to 36 for the other fighter. There's a natural human tendency to say, well, what am I doing? What am I watching? And that, that can't be the tendency, the tendency and the, the, um, uh, the only focus on the judge should be not you, but the fighters. Once we start thinking about ourselves as judges we're lost. We have to think about the fighters. So I don't think that it should have um, any influence on the judges. Um, and I also don't know if, um, if it's uh, good for the fans either. Um, I remember as a kid watching very exciting fights like uh, Larry Holmes versus Ken Norton and they said, ladies and gentlemen, we have a split decision. And it still could happen with open scoring, but you have certainly less tension in the air as a fan when, when you have a, a good feeling as to who's winning after four or eight rounds. Um, so it takes that away. And I know um, there might have been some, uh, some hanky-panky with uh, – um, a corner trying to stop a fight because of a cut 
when the coroner knew that the fighter was ahead. So, um, I mean, I know the theory. The theory is that it, it um, you know, just like other sports, people should know who's ahead and it gives the fighter the chance to adjust um, to what's happening in the fight. But um, I think that there might be more negatives than positives to it. I got you. Yeah. I mean, as a manager, I, I kind of like open scoring, but you know, I, I also get that, you know, it's, it, it does, you know, mess with the integrity of the judges a little bit and it, it exposes them. Uh, certainly if there's a hostile local crowd, there could definitely be a real influence on the judges. Um, so yeah, that one's that one's definitely a mixed bag as as well. Um, here was one that I thought was kind of novel. Um, it's interesting that you know you you um, you know you you have uh, when you're scoring around, you're thinking um, of describing how how the how the one fighter's winning or the other is either close, moderate, or decisive. Um, someone suggested maybe the judges could note on their scorecard with each round whether the you know the fighter won won it close or moderate or decisive, um, or, or I'm not sure how much narrative would be appropriate. I mean, the, the referee uh, collects the cards in between rounds, uh, correct? Or and in most states, most states, yeah. not all the states. Okay. okay, okay. Not in not in Pens not in Pennsylvania, New York. Okay. Okay. So, as it does, someone just come around and no, get... but, but, but I just want to clarify. Well, I just want to clarify. It's actually the commission that uh, um, that picks up the the scorecards in New York. Okay. 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 What What do you think about just so that the that that you know, I guess folks have more of an insight as as to what the judge saw for that particular round. What would you think about that suggestion? Like adding notes to the uh, scoring of the round. Well, on the New York scorecards, that's what we do. That's what we do. That's what I think we've always done in New York since since I became, you know, a pro judge there um, in the early '90s. I mean, the scorecards are set up where we put the score down, we um, and, and then we have a very short narrative as to why that boxer uh, won the round. So um, I think. You know, I certainly don't have any problem with uh, um, giving um, the state um, who is choosing me for such an important role the benefit of my thought process for that particular round. So, I mean, I think that's totally fine. It's a good idea. That's great. That's great. Um, I guess, uh, you know, there's a couple other things here, but we're, we're running a little short on time. But uh, I wanted to, uh, what do you think about judges getting punch stats between rounds? I mean, obviously, punch stat is also a subjective exercise, but uh, do you think this would be valuable or, or even helpful in uh, in uh, scoring a round? No, I don't think so, because um, as you said, um, it's uh, it, it's still one person's or two people's opinion as to who lands the punches. And my opinion might be that that punch did not land. Um, and even if you had the punch stat, which talks about the number of punches, then you have the element, I know they have power punches, but you have the element of the effectiveness of a punch. So um, I just, I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a good idea. I mean, it, it would give, uh, um, you know, it, it's a job of the judge 
to give his or her opinion as to what that judge sees. Nobody else. You know, so I, I can't be, I, I can't have any other facts or opinions thrown at me when I make my instantaneous decision. So it has to be what that judge sees. So I, I don't, I don't think that would work uh, in practice. I, w- I wouldn't be in favor of that. Okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, I guess uh, one, one last uh, subject I kind of want to get on is, uh, or, or maybe a couple more questions. Uh, um, no problem. There was, there was another, uh, someone suggested about that, that, or judges should be uh, accountable to the press after the fight. I mean, the referees sometimes answer questions. I mean, I know the NFL, the NBA, uh, Major League Baseball, they don't allow their officials to be interviewed after the fights. But, you know, sometimes juries get interviewed after trials, sometimes not. Um, do you think judges uh, should be fair game to answer questions from the press about their cards after a fight? You know, that's up to the commissions. We're we're employed by the commission. So, um, I understand why the commissions want to speak with one voice and, you know, the commissions are getting the scorecards of all three judges. So, um, you know, we don't have anything to, to hide. I mean, I think practically every round that we, um, somebody said recently that, uh, that, a lot of the scorecards are actually going to be on box rec. So you could see, I guess in the future, you could see how I scored every round. So, I mean, it oh, is they're, very they're transparent. Do, they're going to do but, round by round ones. Oh, that's, that's great. That's great. I mean, it used yeah, to be. Somebody said the actual scorecards are going to be on box rec. Wow. Because, I mean, they have the score totals now, but not the actual cards. That's interesting. Yep. 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 Yeah, both. Um, but, you know, some judges. Um, are not uh, used to public speaking and things are taken out of context. So I really see, um, you know, I think the scores generally speak for themselves. Um, so I, I think it's, I think the system is fine uh, the way it is. If somebody has questions, they can, they can ask the uh, commission. And if the commission wants me to speak with somebody, I'd be happy to. Okay, cool. Um, well, I guess, uh, I guess I'll, I'll go with the final couple questions here. Um, you know, I, back in my law school days, I, I went to law school with your sister, and you you uh, you were kind enough to forward a, a note that you had written about um, uh, a uniform boxing code and and how states should have uh, uniform rules and you know about uh, granting boxers licenses and limiting bouts to boxers of comparable weight. Really, really good uh, note, by the way. Um, I recently wrote Thank a piece <laughs> on uh, on the need for a boxing league and some sort of structure to, to position the sport better as a, as a commercial entity. But um, if someday there is like a national boxing commission or a, a world boxing league or uh, some sort of you know uh, one structure for the sport, um, and they named you commissioner of officials, what policies would you want to implement to improve on the judging side of the sport? Well, I think. You know, right now they have the Association of Boxing Commissions, and what the the ABC does is they have um, uh, seminars, and I've given seminars on uh, judging, and um, there are seminars also on uh, refereeing, 
seminars on uh, given by doctors, seminars given by inspectors. Um, and I think it's important uh, just that everybody is on the same page because we come from, you know, judges are from all over the world from totally different backgrounds. And, um, you know, we, we need to speak with one another about being able to do things in as uniform a way as possible, recognizing that there's some subjectivity. In other words, what happens if there's an, a knockdown, but the other fighter wins around, you know, the focus on w what, uh, what do we mean by uh, the 10 point must system? How low can you go? How do you equate uh, the hard punches versus the number of punches? So I think we just need to, you know, you mentioned a second ago, Kurt, being an attorney. I mean, we, and I'm an attorney too. We have um, uh, legal seminars that we have to go to, to continue to be able to be attorneys. And right. similarly, you know, I would just continue the process, which many states do, of continuing judging education. Um, I think that's the best way to do it. It's not, uh, it's not a uh, necessarily a top-down approach. I mean, Everybody can learn from everybody else. And, and um, so I, I think that's most important, seminars and speaking with each other. Right, right. I mean, I, I know that I think the other major sports they have um, where they, they kind of, you know, they, they're constantly looking at calls that, that, that the refs and, and so on are making and they grade them and, and occasionally discipline um, um, judges. Um, I guess the, the only thing I can think of that that's comparable to that in boxing is that, I don't know, are you in, uh, familiar with the pod index where, um, I think it's, um, Matt Podgorski in Chicago, correct? Right, right, right. Where they have that, the, the only measure I've seen of judges, it's, you know, whether their cards are outliers in uh, reference to the other judges, uh, of the fights. I mean, is that is that a fair objective way to rate judges? I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? And and maybe you know some sort of system of grading, you know, who gets big fights and and, and so on. Well, I think big fights. I mean, that still has to be left in the hands of the uh, of the uh, commissions. But in in terms of the the podcast, I definitely think it's useful. I mean, certainly, if I'm judging. Um, fights and fight after fight, I'm in the minority, something's wrong. I mean, if I continue to be in the minority, I have to ask questions as to, as to what's going on. What am I missing? But on the other hand, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to be in the minority um, uh, for particular rounds. That's why there are three judges. That's why we sit on different sides of the ring. And to be honest, for a close round, if you have it 10-9-10-9-9-10, maybe the fighter who had the 10-9-10-9 nine, nine, um, and, and the 9 in the third score, maybe he only deserves to go up by one point as opposed to the collective three points. So maybe one round, it's not necessarily that that judge got it wrong. Maybe from that particular side of the ring, that's how that judge saw it. And maybe that judge is a little different. So one round, uh, you know, it's not, uh, use the word outlier, it's not necessarily bad to be an outlier 
occasionally, but if you're making a habit of being an outlier, then something's wrong. Right, right, right. Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of people's complaints are about judges who are consistently outliers and then they get, uh, they get assigned to the big fights. But, uh, but Steve, I really uh, appreciate your time uh, on, a, on a Saturday um, and, and your wisdom. And uh, again, as I said, I really think you're one of the best in the business and uh, keep doing what you're doing, my man. And really, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. Thanks. Uh, great being on your show. Talk to you later. All right, Steve. Talk to you later, man. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast. Really like to thank uh, my guest, Steve Weisfeld, uh, for taking time out to speak with me. It's, uh, he's such a busy guy. Uh, it's great to actually uh, be able to catch him and, uh, and on a weekend where he wasn't working the fights. <laughs> but uh, hey, if you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. Really appreciate it as it helps new listeners find the podcast. Uh, until next time, so long, everybody. <laughs>